Welcome to High Cheese. It's Saturday, July 15th, 2023, and welcome to my 100th episode. And I started this about a year and a half ago, and my only intent is to help Donald Trump become president. And we've been relatively successful over the past year and a half, and I want to thank all my listeners for listening, and we will have continued episodes until Donald Trump is re-elected president of the United States. So with that said, I want to go to one topic that really peeved me. And it has to do with uh, Supreme Court Justice Sotomayor and her making $3.7 million at least on her books. And these politicians, these elected officials, these bureaucrats, they, they love to write books because it's an indirect way where they can get compensated for their position in a bureaucracy as a politician. Because what happens is, is a, a lot is that uh, people, these elected officials, they buy books. And then these organizations that are affiliated with their ideology, they buy a lot of these books. I'm sure a lot of that happened with Obama's book and several other elected officials' books. And that's why I find these sales numbers on these books kind of, I take it with a grain of salt because you got to take a look at the bulk purchase and who's buying this. For example, is the Heritage Foundation buying a bunch of books from some right-wing politician? So again, it's a way of allowing elected officials to get money and with that, be influenced. So in this case, Sotomayor has written several books. Now, I think there, I think uh, there's been a couple of justices that have wrote books, but what sticks out for Sotomayor is that she used her staff to push selling books. And, you know, here's the game that they play. Sotomayor would go and say, oh, I'm going to make a speech at uh, Bergen Community College. And then what her staff would do is that, well, in order for Sotomayor to come, you've got to buy a number of books. You got to buy X amount of books because what'll happen is you won't be able to meet Sotomayor after the speech unless you have bought a book. And in a couple of cases, they've had emails from Sotomayor staff to these schools, for example, saying, hey, look, you're not buying enough. You got to buy more. And in a way, it's almost a shakedown. And in some cases, it's just a direct payment by these universities to Sotomayor. So in a way, it's that you've got these universities out there they agree, agree with the ideology of Sotomayor, so they just buy books. Yeah, we want to support Sotomayor. Let's give her money. We're going to use our university's money to give money to Sotomayor. And for example, Michigan State University spent more than $100,000 on copies of her memoir, My Beloved World, to distribute to incoming first-year students. So they just bought $100,000 worth of books and just helped, and they handed it out to first, freshman students. And again, do you really want your Supreme Court justice to be working in an ethical gray area? First, by using your staff to push books on universities and community colleges. And secondly, her publisher, Penguin Random House. There have been several cases before the Supreme Court that would have had an impact on her publisher, Penguin Random House. And she did not recuse herself. And again, it goes back to why people are in public service, because if you're into public service to make money, it used to be the case, well, you're in the wrong profession. 
But now it's just gotten out of hand. You've got people going into public service in order to make money, whether it's the bureaucrats going from the Defense Department to these defense contractors, generals going from the military to defense contractors, attorneys going from Washington bureaucracies into these high-earning law firms that are nothing more than just lobbyists. And I really expect more from Sotomayor. But should I be surprised? Because I still have a feeling that the reason they did not name the leaker in the Dodd case is because it was one of the justices or one of the justices knew about it. And to me, it was likely Sotomayor. Because if she can't respect the ethics of the Supreme Court by doing this, by using her staff to sell books, push books, acting as an agent, she certainly wouldn't respect the Supreme Court when having something to do with linking the Dodd decision. Now, sometimes these book-selling deals really are clearly illegal. And let's go to back to the case of the Baltimore mayor. So apparently she wrote a self-published children's book. And what she did is she pushed these entities that had the ability to buy books and where she had an influence to buy her book. For example, she was on the board of the University of Maryland's health organization. And she had pressured the organization to buy, I think, $200,000 worth of her books. And then Kaiser Health was looking to do business with Baltimore. And she was pushing Kaiser Health to buy her books. So be careful. All I can say is be careful. When these people that you see are writing books, particularly the elected officials and these bureaucrats, watch who's buying the books. And you get a general idea of the scam that's taking place. So we shall see. Now, speaking of scams, did you really think that the Secret Service was going to come up with any answer other than the fact that we couldn't find who put the cocaine in the White House? With all this surveillance equipment, with all this technology, they couldn't find who did it. And we know what's going on. We know they're just covering up for the White House, the Biden family. And it's in your face at this point. They just come out and say, look, the heck with you, American public. The heck with you with people that don't think the same way we do. We're just going to protect these people. And we don't care what you think, because this is the power structure we're going to protect. Whether it's the Secret Service, whether it's Chris Ray, and we'll get into Chris Ray later. It's just right in your face right now. We're just not going to tell you. We know who it is. We know who put the cocaine there. We're just not going to tell you. And that's where we are right now. And to me, I think that's a good thing because we don't need any gray area right now for the upcoming election, November 2024. They're drawing their line in the sand. They're drawing their side. And we know where the bureaucracy stands, the high C-suite level bureaucrats stand, which is no surprise. We've known that the deep state's been there for a while. But now they're just not denying it. They're just coming out. Now, we're not going to tell you. We got all this technology about finding cocaine. We got all this surveillance equipment, but we don't know. And if you believe that, yeah, we got a bridge in Brooklyn for you. But don't expect anything else. They will deny everything between now and November. Look what they did with Hunter Biden's laptop. They denied that it was real. So we shall see. So House passed its annual military spending bill yesterday. And a couple of things just jump out at me. One is it was bipartisan. There were several Democrats that voted for this bill. 
And there were a number of anti-woke amendments that also passed in the bill. Let me just read an article on this. And it's from the New York Post. And it says here, the House of Representatives approved $886 billion in defense spending for next fiscal year. As well as conservative Republican-backed amendments that ban U.S. military funding for diversity, equity, and inclusion programs, the teaching of critical race theory, and so-called green energy initiatives. Also included is that the military would not be reimbursing soldiers for abortions, and the military would not be paying for transgender surgery and hormone therapy for men that think they're women and women that think they're men. Now think about that. Do you really want that in your military? People with psychological disorders that you're training with guns? And think about that. Think about the, the, first of all, they have psychological disorders. And then with hormone therapy, you're furthering their psychological problems. Or you're creating new psychological problems with hormone therapy. And you're giving them guns and training them to kill people. First of all, I don't know how effective they would be in killing people. And second of all, you don't know what the heck they're going to do because they have psychological problems. And that's a good move. And here's the funny thing about this. You know, if you ask people in the military, the woke people in the military, the transgender people, many of the women there, they don't want to do the fighting. They want all the males to do the fighting, all the real men, the one with the XY chromosomes. They don't want to do the real fighting. They want to be in the background for support. That's fair for them. Oh, no, no, we don't. We want to be in the military. We want to be soldiers, but we don't want to fight. Think about that. I looked at that transgender soldier that the military posted a couple weeks ago. You really think that guy's going to be on the front line? You really think that guy wants to be on the front line? And I hearken back to Ukraine. Let's go to the Ukraine war. At the beginning of the Ukraine war, it was reported that there was a number of transgender men, men that turned to women, were trying to sneak over the border. Because they didn't want to fight. And the military was out the border. The Ukrainian military was out the border. Turned these guys around. Said, nope, you're fighting. And this is how you get a military that loses its direction. We've got a clear problem in China. We've got a problem with people enlisting in the military. Because they don't want to deal with this woke stuff. And this is a way to undermine your military. Make it a social petri dish. Let's test how we're going to change society in our military. Well, that's a good way to lose wars. But I digress. Let's get back to this bill here. Now, I think Matt Getz had proposed an amendment to stop funding the Ukraine war, which I agree with, but it just didn't pass. But one thing I just wanted to point out, the bill is, you know, I, I like what they did with the bill as far as the social issues. But, it's the $886 billion in defense spending for this year, this fiscal year. Now, you know, just a refresher, the federal budget is comprised of several bills that they are supposed to pass every year. And this military bill is just one of several bills that they need to pass in order to have a budget, a federal budget. And, you know, we just have to take a look at the $886 billion that was passed. Now, 
it's a relatively small increase over the previous year. But we've got $32 trillion in debt, and there's no way to cut into our spending, significant ways of cutting into our spending unless we start cutting the military. Now, I'm not talking about cutting number of soldiers, number of trainers, training we have for our military, but there's ways of cutting this $886 billion. There's a lot of fluff in all these bureaucracies that will not have an effect on our ability to fight a war. And we ha- in the future, we have to look at putting defense spending on the table. And with that said, I just want to take us to another article here. And our deficit numbers came out. And for the first three quarters of the federal budget, they ran up a one $1.4 trillion deficit. Now, that extrapolates into a full year for to nearly $2 trillion. So we're going to go from $32 trillion to $34 trillion by the end of the federal government's fiscal year, which begins on October 1st, so this fiscal year on September 30th. So we'll have an additional $2 trillion at least in debt by September 30th. And look, that just can't be sustained. CBO came out and said that we're looking at a $50 trillion debt, I think by 2030. That's not that far off. And that's just not sustainable. If you want your kids to grow up, to have a better life than you did, to be able to buy a house, to be able to have a good job, to be able to have decent inflation numbers, this just can't be sustained. And and here's the problem. At some point, you damage the military because you run out of money to collect to pay for your military because people just can't afford the taxes. So that's where we are right now. There's good and bad in this. Um, I like. I, I think it's a small victory for McCarthy, but I think that in the future, we got to look at the military spending. Just got to. It's a huge chunk of the budget. And in order to make any significant cuts in your federal budget, you just have to put military on the cha- uh, table. And I'm not anti-military. I like a strong military. I like a strong and lean military. And we can get that by cutting the budget in the future for the military. So we shall see. Let's take a few moments and talk about Ukraine. And I guess it was about a week ago that they had the 500-day anniversary of the Ukraine war. And Zelensky makes a trip to Snake Island. And the U.S. press and the Western press were covering it. And they went back to a debunked hoax about Snake Island. I don't even remember in the beginning of the war, one of many, many fake news reports that has come out of the Western media about the Ukraine war were two things. One is the ghost of Kiev. It was this Ukrainian fighter pilot that was shooting down all these Russian MiGs. Fake. Then there was Snake Island, where the Russians had surrounded Snake Island early in the war. And... They had asked 
the Ukrainian soldiers that were posted on Snake Island to surrender. And the Ukrainian soldiers told the Russian army to go pound sand, and they died in the process of defending the island. Fake news didn't happen. They all surrendered. They surrendered to the Russian army. But Zelensky went back there telling the story about how our great patriots defended this island to the death or something along those lines. And you had the Western media covering it also. And they expect the American people not to forget that these old debunked events. So Zelensky was at the NATO meeting earlier this week. And he had a hissy fit because NATO said they were really not interested at this point in expediting any Ukrainian NATO membership. So Zelensky's out there, ah, that's absurd, this is terrible, this and that, this and that. So he had his hissy fit. But I don't think that changed anything regarding NATO. And the other item that came out is that the United States is going to give Ukraine cluster bombs. Cluster bombs that have been banned by, I think, 120 countries that signed an international agreement just banning the use of cluster bombs. Because what they are is essentially these bombs that shoot out these, explode and shoot out these small pellets that are individual bonds in their own right. And they kill indiscriminately, maim indiscriminately, and make it hard to clean up after the war. So where's the morality here? Where's the morality with the United States? You've got 120 countries that have banned it. Clearly, the United States hasn't banned it. And they're giving it to Ukraine. Is that moral? And what's so ironic is how the United States response through the media, through talking heads, are explaining the use of cluster bombs. And here's what they say. They say, well, you know, we're going to give it to them. Cluster bombs are okay as long as they are using it to defend their own country. So it's okay to continue to kill and maim Ukrainians. They don't matter much. We'll give them the cluster bombs, even though 120 countries banned them because they're defending their own country. So let's continue killing more Ukrainians. We've also had massive amounts of death in Ukraine. So let's continue it. Let's kill more Ukrainians. Let's give them the cluster bombs. That's moral. It's just twisted logic as far as I'm concerned. So it's okay to use cluster bombs if you're killing your own people in the process. That's just twisted logic. Last month, they started the counteroffensive, and it really hasn't produced any results. Nothing's really moved in the big picture. Now, you got these stories coming out from the West saying, oh, this one general was killed. We took this one village. Well, in the big picture, it's meaningless because in many cases, the Russians take them back the next day after it's reported. And it's also been reported that Ukraine has lost 26,000 soldiers in this counteroffensive. Now, you got to understand is that Russia has taken about 20%, maybe a little more, maybe a little less, 20% of the country. And they've dug in. They put massive defensive lines all along the war line. And it's been making it very difficult to have a counteroffensive. There's a manpower issue. So they've really not had any results in this counteroffensive and it's been over a month some counteroffensive so really nothing's happening there to give ukraine any hope and 
you really have to take notice to what Donald Trump, Donald Trump says he can stop this war in 24 hours. And I believe him. There's a number of things it can do. And I think I've mentioned them. But the United States continues to fund this war for whatever reason. It just, it seems bizarre that the United States, both Republicans and Democrats and the White House, they're all supporting this continuation of killing Ukrainians in order to make Russia weaker. That's all here. Oh, we want to make Russia weaker. So in the process, we are killing tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of Ukrainians in order to weaken Russia because they're expending artillery, they're expending tanks. Well, it's not going to take long for Russia to rebuild or rebuild anything or replenish anything that they're expending right now. And you got to take a look at yourself here. We're running out of ammunition to give Ukraine to fight Russia. What kind of position does that put us in? Well, we've got China threatening Taiwan in our back door where we really have interest. It just doesn't make sense, this position with Ukraine. And with that said, I want to go to a clip. Tucker Carlson had interviewed several presidential candidates at the Blaze Summit. Happened this week. I don't know if it was Thursday or Friday or both. And one of the interviews was Mike Pence. And I just want to play this clip about Mike Pence. And this is essentially what the U.S. position is right now regarding Ukraine. And the U.S. position, including Mike Pence, is that we don't care about the United States. We care about Ukraine. And I am not kidding you when I say this. Let's go to this clip, and then we'll come back and discuss. I heard again two weeks ago in Ukraine, they still don't have them. We've been telling them we'll train their F-16 pilots, but now they're saying maybe January we'll let somebody transfer some jets. I'm sorry, Mr. Vice President, have you, I know you're running for president. You are are distressed that the Ukrainians don't have enough American tanks. Every city in the United States has become much worse over the past three years. Drive around. There's not one city that's gotten better in the United States. And it's visible. Our economy has degraded. The suicide rate has jumped. Public filth and disorder and crime have exponentially increased. And yet... Your concern is that the Ukrainians, a country most people can't find on a map, who've received tens of billions of U.S. tax dollars, don't have enough tanks. I think it's a fair question to ask, like, where's the concern for the United States in that? Well, it's not my concern. And I think Pence should just get out of the race. After this comment, a couple of other comments that he made to Tucker during the interview, he should just get out of the race. It's been reported he only has $1.2 million in his coffers. But this is the mentality. This is the warp mentality of what we have right now. We've got a structure in place right now between a majority of Republicans and Democrats and the White House. Oh, the heck with the United States. We've got to protect the Ukrainian border, not our border. And I think history is going to look back and take a look at these American politicians and say, what the heck were they thinking about? Particularly if we have World War III out there. Mike Pence, the so-called Christian that cares about anybody, everybody but the American people. And the longer I listen to him, the longer I just think, well, maybe he's just a phony Christian. Maybe he's just all talk. Because I don't see any courage in him. I never saw any courage in him, particularly on J6. But anyway, this is where we are. So, Chris Ray, he testified this week before the House Weaponization Committee. And... Here's, here's why the deep state likes him. Because he's got a nice haircut, has a nice suit. 
He doesn't get ruffled. But what he does have in his ability to mislead, in some cases lie, and to conduct himself in a way which results in willful ignorance on subjects. And he's not a leader. And he should resign because he's the spearhead of the FBI where people have lost confidence where people have lost confidence. He's just not a leader. He's letting his politicized staff run amok. He does not know what's going on, where he should know, and that's willful ignorance. And he seems to be only interested in keeping his job and keeping the powers that be happy. Remember what he said several months ago. I think it was an interview with, I forgot who it was. He said, I don't have to answer to the public. I got to answer my people. These people are the Washington insiders. And one of the things I just wanted to bring up, this is a uh, Matt Getz moment with Ray. So Getz asks him about whether the FBI targeted parents at Board of Education meetings. And this is his answer. I, I will say to you the same thing that I said to all 56 of our field offices as soon as I read the memo which is that the FBI is not in the business of investigating or policing speech at school board meetings or anywhere else for that matter, and we're not going to start now. But wait, there was an FBI whistleblower hearing about a month ago, and the whistleblower totally contradicts what Ray just said. So let's go to this clip from the whistleblower hearing about a month ago, and then we'll come back and discuss. Mr. Friend, you ever been to a school board meeting? Yes, I have. FBI ever sent you to the parking lot of a school board meeting? Yes, I have. And in the parking lot of a school board meeting where the FBI sent you, you were taking down information regarding people's license plates? That's correct. Now, it wasn't the first time you'd been to a school board meeting, was it? No, I went on my own as a private citizen. As a parent? Yes. And so there you were. It must have been quite an interesting perspective. There you were taking down the information of people, parents attending school board meetings on behest of the FBI, and you had been one of those parents at a school board meeting. How did that feel? Well, after I attended privately, my colleagues teased me that they were probably going to start investigating me. So here we have Ray's comments being contradicted by his own staff, a whistleblower. But here's what really bothers me. When I found out that the FBI had taken agents away from investigating pedophile and put them on investigating parents at the board of education meeting so let's go to this clip and then we'll come back and discuss you used to go after the worst of the worst didn't you yes i believe so you went after people who looked at child porn yes people who were sexually exploiting children yes and then you were in the parking lot of a school board meeting taking down the information of parents what happened to the cases that you were working to to protect our communities from the worst predators that exist. I was told they were not to be resourced. uh, And then uh, after I was suspended, uh, they were handed off to local law enforcement. Wow. So the FBI just decided it was more important to have you in that parking lot of that school board meeting than getting the worst of the worst away from people that they could harm. That's correct. So remember my previous comment about Ray when he said that, hey, look, hey, look, I'm just interested in keeping the people that I work for happy, not the American people. So tell me, Mr. Ray, were you keeping the people you work for happy when you took FBI agents off of investigating pedophiles and put them onto 
investigating parents at Board of Education meetings? Is that your priority? Is that the priority of the people in Washington? And in light of this Sound of Freedom movie, it's a relevant question today. And I want to stay on Matt Getz at this meeting because he was so effective against uh, Wright. And we're going to go to the clip, but Getz brings up this subject of Hunter Biden and Hunter Biden essentially being Joe Biden's bag man and the money that Joe Biden has received through these LLCs. And we all know that Joe Biden's corrupt. And we all want to know why the FBI is dragging their feet on it. We all know why. Ray's protecting the deep state. Ray is protecting the Bidens. So let's go to this clip. I think that Getz was really effective in bringing out the truth here. I'm sitting here with my father. I will make certain that between the man sitting next to me and every person he knows and my ability to forever hold a grudge, that you will regret not following my direction. I am sitting here waiting for the call with my father. Sounds like a shakedown, doesn't it, Director? I'm not going to get into commenting on that. You, you, you seem deeply uncurious about it, don't you? Almost suspiciously uncurious. Are you protecting the Bidens? Absolutely not. The FBI well, does not the que- no hold on. In You won't answer the question about whether or not that's a shakedown, and everybody knows why you won't answer it. Because to, ev- to the millions of people who will see this, they know it is. And your inability to acknowledge that is deeply revealing about you. Okay, let's talk about a couple other items before I go for the week. And the first thing I wanted to talk about is the the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals has temporarily paused a court order that banned the Biden regime from censoring conservatives. I think it was last week that a Louisiana a judge had put an injunction on the federal government from contacting big tech to censor free speech of Americans. And the, the federal government appealed it to the Fifth Circuit Court. And they put a temporary pause on this. And I'm assuming that this is going to meander its way through the court system and ultimately wind up with the Supreme Court. So we shall see on this. And I'll keep you updated on this. Now, while I'm at it, I mentioned in my last episode when talking about this that we have to keep our eyes out on Biden administration officials leaving the White House and taking jobs with big tech and other uh, companies that could result in censoring speech. So there's one resignation this week from the White House, and her name is Louisa Terrell. And she announced her resignation either yesterday or today. So let's keep an eye on her. Let's see where she winds up. If she winds up in a big tech company, you'll know that she's been put there to inhibit free speech in the upcoming presidential election. So, So let's find out where Louise lands, and I'll keep an eye out on her and let you know. Uh, the second thing I wanted to talk about is the Biden administration has a new plan to forgive loans. And it's apparently it's much scaled back. And this is right after the court ruling. So we don't even know if this thing's going to be challenged. But here's what they want to do. And essentially what they're said is that there's a couple of programs out there that people have been taking advantage of over the years. One is that there, there has been a forgiveness program in the sense that if you worked for the any local government, state government, or any government agency for and paid your loans out for uh, either 10 or 20 years, uh, you can have the rest of the loan forgiven. And there's also another program in, where people pay on how much income they make, how much money they make, and they, they, they pay a percentage 
of what they make every month versus a real amortization schedule. So that's the program that's been in place for years. Now, what the Biden administration has come out and said, said, well, well, our accounting is so screwed up that we're going to look back and we're going to see if people have fell through the cracks. And what we're going to do is we're going to give them the benefit of the doubt and we're going to forgive their loans. And this is typical way that Democrats work. They create chaos. So they've created chaos in this Department of Education. And in the chaos, they start forgiving loans of people that really should not have been forgiven. Now, I personally think that the numbers that they're throwing out there, and I heard $46 billion, $40 billion, $46 billion. I think that that number is not correct because their accounting is so screwed up. Oh, it's $39 billion. So I highly doubt that that $39 billion is an accurate figure because it's government math. They don't know. These are the same people that made a mathematical error on the amount of funding we gave Ukraine for the Ukraine war. These are the same people that keep on revising our economic data significantly. So I really doubt that this number, $39 billion, is accurate. It could be higher, it could be lower. But I would just find it interesting that they came out and said, well, our accounting is so screwed up, we've got to take a look at this and we're going to give people the benefit of the doubt. And no one knows if it's going to be, at this point, no one knows if it's going to be challenged in the courts. So we'll see on this one. Let's keep our eyes on this thing. The next item I wanted to talk about is uh, Russia confirming that BRICS nations will launch a new joint gold-backed currency to counter the U.S. dollar dominance. And BRICS is a consortium of countries including Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. And what they're doing is they're creating their own currency to compete with the U.S. dollar. And it's going to be backed by gold. Now, this is one of the sad and really big mistakes that the United States and these Western countries did against Russia during the war. Essentially, what they did is they threw Russia into the hands of China. And now we've got an alliance between Russia and China that's extremely powerful. And this currency could wind up to be a significant alternate to the U.S. dollar. And as our own internal finances get more and more screwed up, the international community is going to look at this alternate currency as a way to make transactions. So this should be announced sometime next month. I think there's a meeting among this group uh, sometime next month, I think. You know, but you have to understand is that if we lose our reserve currency status, it's going to put a lot of pressure on our internal inflation here. So we shall see. I'll keep my eyes on this one. But if this is a bona fide currency that's backed by gold and we lose our dominance, it will have an extremely severe impact on our economy. And I'll get more into this in some future episodes. And the last thing I want to leave you with, and this is actually comical. You know, it's funny. You know, I guess one thing we've learned since this pandemic is that we've politicized science and we've politicized 
are doctors. And I just want to go to an article, and this is comical. This is typical political scientists out there, political doctors making a political statement. Not based in science, but based on hybrid science. And the article says, which president is healthier? Data shows that Biden will likely outlive Trump. And this is actually comical. And it says here, it says there, available medical information suggests that the two men are more similar health-wise than different. A recent report published in 2020 by the International Council on Active Aging found that while both Biden and Trump have a higher-than-average probability of surviving another term in office, Biden's probability is 95% versus Trump's at 90%. The report attributes this to Biden's nearly perfect health profile for a man his age. And they go into talk about, oh, although Biden had a stroke, he had his brain operation, Trump plays golf. And there's a lot of health agencies out there that say, oh, playing golf doesn't help you. And this is absolutely absurd. Again, did I talk about, did I say anything about our science being politicized? Our doctors being politicized? Don't believe your eyes. Believe what I tell you. So we've got a vibrant Donald Trump who's everywhere, playing golf, very active for a man his age. We've got essentially, and I hate to say it, a brain-dead president that meanders along, that lays out on the beach like a, a baby seal, and he's supposed to be in better shape than Donald Trump, man with a CPAP, man with strokes, man with brain surgery, man that mumbles through press conferences. He's going to outlive Donald Trump. And this is a serious article. And this is the state of our science today. This is the state of our doctors today. So with that said, thank you so much for listening. You have a good week, and I will talk to you next Saturday. Bye-bye.